Hey everyone, welcome to Founders Fireside Chat, the show where we meet the next generation of startups and the founders behind them. Today we meet Jerry Hayes, the founder and CEO of Dorio. Dorio is seeking to make startup investing more accessible to everyone. I've had the pleasure to work with Jerry and the team myself, and I'm excited to share the story today. Thanks again. I appreciate you coming on. Can we just start with a brief background on yourself and a description of Dorio? Uh, yeah. So I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. Um, well, I'd say lifelong, given that the majority of my career, I've been an entrepreneur. Prior to that, I was a lawyer in government affairs and was in politics um, and decided to leave that industry and, and start a company back in 1999 and Web 1.0. I don't even know if you were born then, Stephen. Maybe you were, um, but uh, I was ninety-seven. There you go. Okay, so you were two years old in diapers still. Yeah. Um, but I was going to get rid of the real estate agent. So it was an online marketplace to facilitate real estate transactions between buyers and sellers, and using a centralized sort of clearinghouse to make to provide sort of that uh, transactional work. Where right now it was sort of between real estate agents charging 7% commissions, or back then it was 7%, now I think market is 6%. Uh, but I saw the power of the internet and what that was doing with financial trading, and I thought that you could apply this to real estate. And uh, yeah, um, started that company, it completely blew up, um, could not raise any money in Indianapolis because there was no venture capital around and no one understood what the internet was. And I didn't have the foresight to go out to California and raise capital. Um, so I decided to, to go on, you know, go at it on my own, go get a bank loan, became really levered up. And then we expanded into uh, Ohio and Orlando and then 9-11 hit. And, you know, the market wasn't doing well. And so it was a slog for another year and a half. And I had to sell the company uh, to a property called Help You Sell Real Estate, which was sort of a franchise a model, but they basically bought us for the technology and didn't carry on with the business. So it was a hell of a ride, but became addicted. And uh, so in 2003, after I sold Homia, uh, I started teaching entrepreneurial finance at the IU Kelly School of Business, where you took my class a while back. Um, I've been doing that for uh, 17 years. Um, and then between you know then and now, I had started uh, three other companies and sold them all. And um, now I'm working on what I hope to be as my last company, Dorio. And so Dorio is a compilation of everything that I learned as an entrepreneur, raising capital, and then working with other entrepreneurs, uh, seeking to raise capital. And then everything I was teaching about uh, investing in startups. And so you have two sides of a marketplace, right? You have the needs of an investor and you have the needs of the entrepreneur. And I thought that, you know, I think that we've been sort of running the same startup investing type of model for nearly six decades, invented by George Dorio, named after the company. And I thought it could use a little bit of reimagination. And that reimagination was sort of swirling around the idea of how do we bring retail investors at scale into startup investing because it's a proven long-term growth strategy or wealth creation strategy. And at the same time, make way more capital accessible to entrepreneurs that, you know, right now, are getting access to that capital because there's only you know 250,000 angel investors and there's only a handful of seed venture funds. Um, you know that how can we you know accelerate entrepreneurship you know across the country, not just in certain uh, pockets of the U.S. And so that was the genesis of Dorio. 
Yeah, super interesting and helpful background. Um, so I guess, you know, you're kind of touching on it um, in terms of what the problem is you were trying to solve. But can we go a little bit deeper into that? You know, what's the problem? And then how did you become obsessed with it? Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, I would call startup investing a very, it's a, um, a sport for the wealthy and the connected. Um, and it's a very fun sport. So I've been a startup investor and anyone who invests in startups will tell you it's one of the funnest jobs to have. Um, and so, but it's also a very important role and function for our economy. Back in, you know, if you go back um, historically in our economy, corporations own their own R&D, major, major investments in research and development. But a lot of companies have stopped investing in R&D and they've essentially let that happen in the sort of the realm of the startup world. And then when a company gets big enough and, and they find some sort of strategic fit, then those companies get acquired or eventually those companies go public. So the seeds of the future economy happen with startups. And, and if you see what's happening now with private equity, you, you're seeing major amounts of money moving into this, to this space and um, venture capitals owning at all levels, uh, you know, even at the, the pre-seed level, you've got VC influence and then you've got the seed and then the series A and series B. And if you look at the continuum, more and more capital is being formed around holding the hand of that startup all the way to the company goes public. Well, you know what? When the companies go public today and you get the retail investor involved in those companies, they're not going to make near the amount of money that they would have had they, were, had they been able to invest earlier in the life cycle of a company. So like Airbnb, for example, I use this example a lot. A $1,000 investment Airbnb, even at a $25 million valuation, right, at a seed round, would be worth over $4 million today. If you invest that same $1,000 in Airbnb when it went public, then it, it, it would be worth $1,250, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I believe that retail investors should have access to this kind of hyper, you know, hyper growth that happens through startup investing, just done in a way that's thoughtful and, and protective. And there are, and, and there's a way to do that. It's called indexing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, why don't we, why don't we teach uh, the masses how to index, invest in startups, right? And so that's our first product that we're launching that's going to teach them. It's called Fantasy Startup. And then from there, you know, let's create, create marketplaces and let's create structures that allow someone who's got, you know, a thousand bucks to invest a year to cut that up to 25 different investments and put a little bit into, you know, several startups each year to protect their downside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it sounds like the solution is a two pronged approach. Um, and let's start with the first piece, which is the education. Can you touch a little bit more on fantasy startup? Uh, what is that? And what is it trying to achieve? Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things that I've done a lot in my classroom was I've gamified the curriculum because obviously, you know, getting in the front of the room and and lecturing over what's participating preferred securities versus, you know, com you know, convertible preferred securities. And it it doesn't really hit or land well unless you're actually in the practice of it. So I gamified the concept of, of building term sheets and making investments in companies and identifying which companies are credible, which ones aren't. And so I've taken and pulled some of that information out or some of those sort of gaming tactics out. And I built an app called Fantasy Startup, which basically we're giving 
you know, whoever takes the course, and it's, I would call it an MBA level course, because I've tested this in our MBA courses at IU Kelly, uh, it gives anyone the opportunity to, to become a startup investor without risking their own capital. And uh, most people learn the game of startup investing by risking their own capital and end up paying what's called the fool's tax. And, you know, so they get burnt once or twice. A lot of people just leave. They just say, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too painful because they made too big of a bet in one company, right? Others who have staying power pay that fool's tax and then they understand the game. And once they understand the game, they see how lucrative it is to be a startup investor. So we want to mimic that entire dynamic that happens in the real world and put it in the form of a safe education course. So we're going to present 50 different startup investing opportunities, real opportunities that we've pulled from the market. And then, and then uh, as an investor, you'll have a bank account and you'll make a decision on whether you would invest in that company or not. And if you are going to invest, how much do you want to invest and what, what amount of your portfolio are you going to um, you know, invest in that particular startup relative to the other opportunities that were there or are coming? And it forces you to have to make hard decisions about you know, your values, what do you think is a, going to be a, a, a company that has really big growth potential versus those that don't. And then we show you the results of your startup investing decisions and, and how that inures to your portfolio value. That, that makes sense. And have you launched Fantasy Startup and what's been the uh, initial feedback? So we, we did an off-app version of Fantasy Startup last summer with actually um, the 1500 IU Kelly freshmen um, business school that, that were coming in and learned a ton uh, from them in terms of how they behave and how they thought about investing. Um, and so we were able to sort of re, 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 revise our model and then we started building the, the mobile app. And then we, so uh, from last August until today, we have now moved everything to an iOS and a, uh, uh, into Google Play or um, Android. And uh, now we just finished a, a private beta and we've got a really, really special product. Uh, great results. Uh, people were completely jacked up, very engaged in uh, the, the course. Um, we had, if they were to rate this, as an experience, just with the limited amount of time that they had with the app, we had a rating of 4.7 out of five. Um, and the only reason why we didn't get five out of five is because there's one area that we needed to improve upon that we already knew we had to improve upon. And that is to create more engagement with you know, the player, with you know, friends and family and colleagues. And uh, we're fixing that or we're adding that feature. And with that, we're gonna be ready to launch our public beta in, um, in May. Very exciting. And what's, uh, I guess, what's your hopes for Fantasy Startup once it goes, once it goes live publicly? Uh, my hopes, well, my dream is 50 million people play the, uh, take the course. Um, we obviously need a few miracles. I don't, but I don't think there's any startup in the world that doesn't need a one or two miracles to happen for them to get that kind of growth. But uh, this is a free product. And so it, there's no cost prohibition to, to learn how to be a startup investor. Um, it takes People who complete the prod, uh, complete the course are one step toward, uh, closer to being certified as an accredited investor with the SEC. Um, so there's a real outcome here is that um, not only are you gonna learn about how startup investing works, but you, you're gonna actually receive a certification for your work uh, on the course. Um, and you know we haven't done any marketing and we already have over 2000 people from around the world that have signed up for Fantasy Startup. And so, 
we hope to grow that to five to 10,000 people before we hit the, um, the public beta. And, and, and then we expect that there'll be exponential growth once they download the product, they're using the product, they're inviting their other friends and colleagues to join our private league to see how they do and compare scores. Um, and so we expect big things. Nice. And then for the people who are listening, is there a, a place that they can go to sign up for the, the public beta? Sure. Just go to www.dorio.com and you can download, you can get on the wait list. Now, the key is, um, since we're building up a wait list and it's sort of amassing, if you want to move up in the wait list, refer others to uh, sign up as well. The more referrals you get, the, the faster you'll move up to the, to the top of the line uh, to try the product. Okay, great. Um, and then, so that, that makes sense for kind of the first, um, the first stage, uh, of the strategy and then moving past fantasy startup, uh, what do you anticipate, um, being the second step? Um, well, uh, obviously if people are educated on, on how startup investing works and there's demand, uh, for them, or there's a lot of demand to participate in this industry, we're going to assess you know, what's out there and available right now. So there's crowd equity funding that's available. Um, there's reggae plus offerings that are available, but it's very scattered. Um, it, uh, it's, it's hit or miss. People um, still don't know where to go, what to do. Um, it, it, they wouldn't even know how to build a portfolio. So I'm envisioning marketplaces where someone could come, they could move money into an account, kind of like they would do with Coinbase, um, and or Robinhood, and then you know uh, get access to startup investing opportunities. So what what I mean by that is you would have it's almost like a sort of a regulated venture fund where your limited partners are. It's not institutional investors; it's retail investors. So this idea that you can invest in a company, the the, the venture fund would invest in a company and then turn around and syndicate a portion or all of that investment out to a group of retail investors such that you could be seeing that opportunity and drop $10 into that particular opportunity or hundred, depending on what, where your net worth is. That in my opinion is where the future lies. And, you know, if uh, currently the regulations don't allow for that to happen, um, but um, there is a, a path for that to eventually be a reality through the new SEC accredited investor modernization rules. Um, it's a lot of gobbledygook, but to suggest, but the, the point is, if you can educate investors to the level that, an SEC, that the SEC feels comfortable that they're properly educated, then you can make them an investor that they can invest in any sort of vehicle and feel like they've been properly protected, warned and protected. So uh, we're gonna see what the market holds and who's stepping up to create you know, fill that void. But frankly, if we're educating millions of people and we've earned their trust, then I suspect that we'll be one of the players in that space, creating a marketplace that allows um, for mass participation. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. And it sounds like, um, you know, there'll be rooms to pivot and adjust, um, you know, as time goes on. But I'm curious, you know, right now in terms of the pathway, uh, what do you view as the most important step to get right first for Dorio? And then maybe if you could touch on um, more in general when starting a company, because you're the first uh, serial entrepreneur that I've had on. So I'd love to kind of hear also the lessons learned throughout your other companies. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously for any company, the, the, the race to getting a product that has product market fit with the market, right? 
um, is the most essential thing. So a lot of testing, a lot of learning, a lot of patience, and a lot of um, discovery has to happen. And sometimes, you know, look, if you're if you're building a distribution company where there's an existing product that exists and you're just going to buy that product for, you know, for a certain price and you're going to turn around and resell it to a target market at a higher price, it's a very easy business to develop and create. That's really an execution play. But when you get into the realm of creating new products that have never existed in the world and fantasy startup, as an example, it, it is when it's launched, it will be the number one startup investing product, uh, educational product the world has ever seen. So when you're building at that level and you're bringing something brand new to the market, then uh, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of things you're not, you're not going to get right right out of the gate. So we've been hyper focused on, you know, tons and tons of testing and always testing our ideas with outsiders just to getting that input. Um, so if we don't have this product right, if we don't get fantasy startup right, then nothing else really matters. Right. So, and I would say that's the same thing for any startup, no matter if you're a first time founder or you're a serial founder, um, you know, before you really have to go bring in the big money, you've got to get your product right. A lot of people think you got to go get the big money to get the product right. And it's exactly the opposite. And, and it seems like you've probably had a ton of important lessons learned, um, you know, throughout your journey, starting several other companies, I guess, could you highlight some of the most important ones that might be helpful for someone who's going through it their first time? Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, startups are hard. It's one of the hardest things um, one can do in a sort of a business career. Um, that's why only 10% of people ever attempt to be an entrepreneur. Uh, so, you know, expect the unexpected, expect, you know, really bad shit to happen. Um, but be prepared, be prepared to uh, be resilient, just be resilient. Um, there is not, it, it, there's not one blow that will break your company, you know, um, so don't make one blow break your company. Mm -hmm. And eventually, I, you're going to discover, or in my opinion, I have failed many times as an entrepreneur. I have succeeded many times as an entrepreneur. I've done a lot of side projects where I thought were going to be really big and I quit on them, right? Um, so what, what I've discovered is if you aren't absolutely 100% in love with the problem that you're solving, you will quit and you'll most likely fail or you'll, you'll, you'll fail and you'll, you'll quit. You have to be in love with the problem. If you're in love with the solution and you're in love with the size of the market, and you're in love with the, the cachet you have by saying you're a startup entrepreneur, you're going to probably fail. Yeah, I definitely remember that one from your class, which is why I always start these off by asking why you're obsessed with the problem. Because um, I, yeah. I definitely agree that that's the most important piece because your solution yep. might fail, but it's only the first solution. And there's always other ones that you could go out and, and Exactly, grow. exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's okay to want a problem to get solved, even if you're not the one to solve it. It, that shows you you love the, you you love you know bringing something to the market that really matters even if it's not your company and that's just okay you know someone beat you fine um, but you, you have so you can't make this into I'm the only one that's ever going to solve this problem this is my this is, it, that becomes such an ego identity thing that again you just set yourself up. Uh, to fail because your ego is going to get, you're going to get the shit beat out of you mentally. Mm. Right. I don't know of any, any founder who's 
been really successful that it doesn't have a great amount of humility. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes a ton of sense because you're, like you said, you're going to fail a ton of times. So you got to be able to dust the, uh, dust the dirt off and get back at it um, and not have your healing, your feelings hurt. So that makes sense. Um, and, and one thing also you're previously mentioning was how you're trying to, you're building the product right now, um, making sure that that gets perfect. And a lot of people think that you need to go out and get money first before you do that. And I'm curious to hear kind of your approach to financing so far, and then maybe some lessons learned um, along the way that can apply to other entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my approach to financing, I'm, I'm fortunate in the fact that I've had some past wins. So I've got some some dry powder personally. So when I started thinking about this company three years ago, and, and actually, and interestingly enough, um, uh, Stephen, I, I, I didn't like just wake up and saying, oh, I'm, I'm building Dorio and I'm building Fantasy Startup. This has been a three-year exploratory process. Um, and I think you, I mean, you can recall some of that because mm -hmm. you were you were hanging around for a while and we didn't know what the hell we were going to do, right? We were just like showing up and talking and not doing a whole lot, but we were just exploring ideas. When I when I sort of went through this process, and actually it's, it's now boring of four years ago in terms of, of having, having a, a uh, a critical, what I would call a critical one month, you know, time frame for me. I wrote down on a piece of paper and I said, okay, listen, I'm 48 years old at the time. And I said, I, I want one more company under my belt, one more, but it's got to be a company that uh, I am an absolute expert at, uh, an industry that I absolutely love, and one that gives me an opportunity to build a billion dollar plus size company. And, um, and so I wrote that down on a piece of paper and I read that piece of paper every morning when I woke up and every night when I went, went to bed, I read that piece of paper. And, and, um, I, I think that was the seeds of what Dorio, that's, that's where it really started. I, I didn't have any details on that. And so fast forward over the ne next couple of years, I really didn't know what this was going to look like. I just knew I was going to start something. And then I then I was able to get my hands on the brand Dorio, which many people don't know what Dorio means, but George Dorio invented the venture capital game. And to get Dorio.com is a huge coup for anyone who's ever scouting for, you know, URLs. Dorio.com is a massive win. And I was able to get the get the brand and I was able to get a trademark for the brand. So I knew I was going to build, that was the first step. I was going to build something on the brand Dorio. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of like, eh, eh, we're going to do this and let's try a game. And right. I didn't have anything to go raise money off of. So I'd use my own money. Um, and so that's what I elected to do um, because I just didn't have a story that I felt comfortable talking to investors about. Fast forward to about a year ago, um, two of my mentor investors um, that I've worked with for several years. One is a former, he's a professor at IU. He just recently retired, but he's going to still teach. Um, David Haverly, he's been a mentor of mine um, for 20 years. And then um, another individual, uh, Dan, he's up in Morgan Stanley um, in New York, and he's, he's a big wig up there. And he's invested in some past deals. And I went to them and I said, you guys, I think I've got something here. It's time. So they put a little money to work. And, and um, so I put some more money into it and it's kind of where we are today. So I'm looking at doing a small round today in front of the, the launch of Fantasy Startup. Um, and I'm just taking my time to see, you know, I, I want the right investors. 
um, and um, the right fit uh, for where we are. So I'm slow, I'm slow pitching it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm being very, very patient on that front. And when you're looking for the right investors, what do you look for? I know it's company specific, um, but what type of criteria yeah. are you looking for? You know, first off, do I like do I like them personally? Do we do we have a chemistry personally? Because, you know, we may not agree on everything that's going to happen going forward, but we certainly have to have a mutual respect and a mutual trust. And we have to be in, enjoy being in each other's company. So if someone were to come in and, and want to stroke a $250,000 check at this stage, you know, it's very likely that he or she would want to be on the board. And so, okay, you know, do we like each other? You know, can we, can we get along when times are tough? Um, you know, when we have hard decisions to make, those are the kinds of things that I think about. But, you know, again, I'm 52. I'm at the prime of my career. You know, I know what I want. I know what works. I've, I've got all, I've got, I have a lot of experience. So, you know, now I'm very much measured about the people more so than the money. Definitely useful for people who are going through it the first time. Just understanding that it's, it's definitely more than uh, just the money, especially bringing on early on investors. Uh, and, and then in terms of, in terms of talent, uh, recruiting people internally, what's been your approach uh, and maybe some lessons learned there as well? So, you know, the interesting thing is, is that um, I have not recruited anyone to come to Doria. They've all found me. So past students um, that have graduated and, and come to work for me. Um, I, I had a, I, I did an H1B program a while back. So I was kind of messing around with a different startup. And IU had a, an H-1B program, not an H-1B program, but it is a um, JV-1 program, excuse me, it's for, for students. And I, I was able to get a couple of students over from Tunisia to come to the United States, you know, for a two-year stint. Well, I'm still close friends with them. And so now one of them is working for me at Dorio. He's a full-stack developer and super, super bright. Um, he's, you know, from a technology standpoint, you know, he's, he's a cut above. Um, and he just kind of stepped in, like, it's like the universe just sort of brings these pieces to you, you know, and it's sort of organically is sort of evolved up to this point. But, but I will tell you that when fantasy startup takes off and it's becoming really successful, the first hire I'm going to make is a, a VP of HR. That, that's a, that's the very first hiring decision I'm going to make is my, who's my HR partner to help me go find and recruit the best team possible um, for our future. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming, you know, your reasoning for that is, you know, like you just said, finding the best people, but do you mind just kind of um, expanding on that? Um, so obviously some of the things I'll, I'll say would anyone would say, but, you know, integrity, trust. Um, uh, um, to me, I pay close attention to words and mindset. Um, the, it's, it's uncanny how, you know, one negative mindset can, can literally spoil, um, you know, a group. And, um, so I, I'm really, I'm really looking for those individuals that instead of hiring for a particular position, which we haven't, we've just brought really smart people and, and, and aggressive people in, and then i we've just been doling out tasks you know, like, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you, right? Um, and that's worked out really well. That's not a scalable model going forward. Um, but 
you know, I, I'm looking for the, at the character as much as as anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then lastly, before we go into something that I call the fast five, uh, I just want to hear kind of your high level, uh, what excites you most about Dorio, especially when you think about the future? Um, it's exciting to think that we could get tens of thousands more entrepreneurs funded than we are getting funded right now. Because if you take a look at the, the funding environment, you know, if you've got Stanford or MIT or Berkeley or Harvard and your pedigree, you're getting funded, right? If, if you have that pedigree, you're getting into a top level VC fund, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a club that works for a small group of people. And then everyone else has to scrape and crawl, you know, your claw their way in. And people are able to do that. And I'm not saying that it's elitist to an extent that people can't get in there and succeed. You can. Uh, I just look at it, you know, come to the Midwest and try to succeed as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I invite people to not be in San Francisco, right, to see what the hell it's like in other parts of the, the country. And it's bloody hard. And what's bloody hard is because, you know, the capital isn't available. And there's not enough people investing here in the Midwest. But if we could, if we could bring 10 million people, uh, retail investors, putting in a thousand bucks a year into startups, I mean, holy cow! How much more capital can we bring to get entrepreneurs off the ground? And through an indexing model, you're going to find two or two out of the 25 are going to win, and that's all you need, right? So um, I love the idea of disrupting. You know, what is a very clubby sport between the highest levels of education and institutional investors. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but, um, you know, let's bring the love everywhere. Uh, and so then now moving into the fast five, these are standard questions. I ask every entrepreneur, I uh, really like just to hear the different perspectives on each of these. Uh, so starting with number one, uh, what's the most important piece of advice you could give a fellow entrepreneur? Develop a spiritual practice. What's a tool that every entrepreneur should implement in their company? Uh, we like Slack for collaboration and Discord for standups. What's the most important KPI, KPI you track and why? Uh, right now, it's product market fit. Um, so we're not really tracking any other KPIs other than sort of the sentiment that we're receiving, you know, from people utilizing our product right now um, and integrating that feedback into a, a better product. Uh, who's another founder that you view as a personal mentor? Um, so are you talking to people that I know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I'm in a group with seven other CEOs up in Indianapolis and they span, I mean, one runs a, you know, big food service operation. One does, uh, biotech, um, one's in, in, in runs a huge developer shop. Um, and they all bring different skills and, 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 um, and experiences to the table. So I draw a lot from all of them when I've got questions around things I'm doing with Dorio and, and even just the softer side of entrepreneurship, you know, the, the emotional side that sometimes we all struggle with. And then pitch Dorio in 30 seconds. So Dorio's mission is to make startup investing accessible to the masses. We see this as a $500 million market opportunity today, but we anticipate this to grow 25% each year over the next several years, making this a multi-billion dollar market opportunity. We're starting with education, but we probably won't end up with education as our final product when this is all said and done. I love it. Well, thanks so much. That's everything I have. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been great. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to today's episode. 
If you like the show, make sure to subscribe to stay on top of the latest episodes. Thanks again, and I look forward to taking you along the next Fireside Chat.